Welcome to episode 514 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a grand conversation with writer, actor, director extraordinaire, David Kale. And we talk with David about being the oldest cast member, mortality and posterity, Harry Clark, Billy Crudup, patterns, being emotionally autobiographical, The Seagull, Woodstock, New York, Ernest Hemingway, Blue Cowboy, Carol King, Parker Posey, Chekhov, and a sense of urgency, among other things. A grand conversation with David Kale this go-round. We have an EWSA titled Owl, and we share two pieces published in the March 2023 issue of The Sun magazine. One is titled Ode to My Brother's Face Tattoos by Reese Menifee, and the other is from the Reader's Write section with the topic Drug Experiences, written by Paulina Popovskaya. And we have an EW poem called Free Lunch. All of this, of course, will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. A couple of Davids, by the way. Let's get to it then. Episode 514 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
owls. I have an emotional connection to the characters I know and portray in my day-to-day. Using dashes, periods, commas, and letters to convey modernity, mortality, posterity, thinking back into the elusive concept of time and endless space. Though I feel trapped still, it must be my brain and a lack of restraint as I get swept up by the banal culture of this place. The disappoints are nothing but a selfish way of puttering through a day, missing so much, not believing in what could be more important. My, me, mine is about right. The root of this gray sky plight, wish I may, wish I might. I talked with the blue cowboy the other day. He told me he had been close to Ernest Hemingway at his place in Idaho, and that Parker Posey once sat with him on a stage in Manhattan to talk and tell a story in front of hundreds of people. Something to do with a seagull from the 19th century. The owls in Central Park listened too. They told the squirrels who passed the wisdom on to the vagrant humans and dreamers and poets, all one and the same. Hey, we made it. It's springtime again. There's a feral child in the garden now And he's left his clothes by the willow tree And he's running now to the garden fence And the moon is full Feral child, feral child The feral child his dad is drunk and his mom is blue and they scream all day this is what they do and this little kid when the world it sleeps he takes off his clothes feral child feral child the feral child
And I heard him shout to the sky above I'm an animal, a wild animal No one can tame me, no one can tame me No one can tame me, no one can tame me No one can tame me, no one can tame me Feral child, feral child the feral child. Hello. Hello, Hello, David Kale, is that you? It is I. (laughs) It's good to have you. Ah, thank you. Good talking to you. Well, I appreciate you finding the time to be on our show today. And and uh, before we get started, I'd like to share with the listeners a little background information. Oh, sure. David Kale is the writer and performer of 10 solo shows. Most recently, his solo musical memoir, We're Only Alive for a Short Amount of Time, for which he wrote the book, lyrics, and co-composed the music with Matthew Dean Marsh. This effort earned David a 2020 Obie Award, an Outer Critics Circle Award, a Drama Desk Award nomination, and a Lucille Lortel Award nomination. Other writing credits include Harry Clark, which won the Lucille Lortel Award, and most recently, Sandra at the Vineyard Theater. David has appeared in five productions, directed by Scott Elliott, and seven plays with the new group, including A Likely Story and Betwixt both of which he also wrote. Other theater credits include The Total Bent. His film credits include Light from Light, Private Life, and The Slaughter Rule. He is currently playing Sammy in the new group production of The Seagull, Woodstock, New York, by Thomas Bradshaw. A man in demand. Troubadour and Rock on Tours is very happy to have on the program David Kale. Again, thank you so much, David. Oh, Happy to be with you. And uh, let's let's get to our first question here. Um, our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, put some of these together, and I added a couple myself. Um, this one is um, asking that you discuss the experience of performing in someone else's play as opposed to one of your solo shows, uh, in particular, The Seagull. Yeah, um... There's there's a, di- a different set of responsibilities with acting in somebody else's work. With, with when I'm doing my own shows, especially if I'm performing them, it's uh, I, it's very multifaceted I mean, because I'm the writer, and you know, inevitably, to some degree, uh, you have to be somewhat of a, an unofficial associate producer with the show to just help promoting them. Um, but with this, I mean, this has a different set of responsibilities. It's a, it, it's a very, I, 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 it's not a very large part or, that I have in 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 the Seagull Woodstock, New York. But it's it's a very emotional part and a very. I, I'm playing somebody who's dying, which I've done in a f- movie. 
but it's very different when you're doing it seven times a week, and it really does. I think if you do it properly, without kind of wrecking yourself, it's 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 quite a taxing experience. Um, that's that's. I guess it's different because. I mean, my own shows are very emotional, but I'm on my own. But in here, I'm with nine other people on stage. So when it becomes emotional, it's a kind of a more sh- directly shared with people that are looking at me and I can see. And especially last last night, it was a, a very emotional show for me, uh, particularly, I think. I mean, it's it's an emotional show to begin with, but it's... Um, it's uh, it was it was it was quite an intense show last night because because I'm playing this man whose life is coming to an end and and all that kicks up in me at this point in my life at, at, at the age of 64 you start to see things in a in a, in a different way to yeah. certainly to how I was in my 30s or 40s so this this sort of kicks in a lot of a lot of stuff about age that I never have to deal with with solo shows because I can play anybody from a five-year-old to a 95-year-old, and it doesn't have that kind of same impact. But with this play, it's the first time I've been in something where I've been the oldest cast member and playing somebody who's consistently referred to as an old man. Mm. So it's it's uh, just just it it it. Personally, that has uh, had an effect on well, what it brings up for me. Like mortality, which, mortality, and and also a kind of posterity with my own work. That mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of things like in in the um, in the oven right now in terms of new new shows and new things, new writing things that I'm working on, and I really feel like a sense of urgency about being as productive as I can be because I don't have all the time in the world. And so many of these projects take a long time to go into into production. Um, I mean, sometimes really many years. I mean, certainly like Harry Clark, that was in a cupboard for probably five years before it went into production and then became quite a substantial hit with, with Billy Crudup um, mm-hmm. performing it. Um, it ran for 19 weeks in 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 New York and could have gone longer, it was, but it was a kind of a strictly limited engagement. But it it did very very well. But that show, I mean, some of these shows can take 10 years, and then when you when you start getting older, you start you're very aware of like, well, I, this cannot be taking 10 years. It's got to happen quicker. Right. You know, it's, so it's um, which is actually. A healthy thing because it's very easy to 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 go along with the time frame that the world is giving you without without kind of pushing it. But now I'm I'm more like okay, let's let's get this let's get this up and and moving and running. So you're probably more efficient and wise, I suppose, too, if you've been paying attention the last sixty four years. Well, that's that's the thing. It's that's the other thing because I share a dressing room and I really love it with four actors. I don't know that anyone is over thirty-one. I wow. think they may all be in their twenties. 
or around 30. Anyway, but I really love being, I love working with younger people. And I, I, but what I found in this room is that they're, that I think, I think they look, they look to me for my experience sometimes, you know, and which I have had. I've been around a long time. I've been performing for 40 years. I've been doing it since 85 full time without any other kind of occupation can bolstering it so it is it's uh, it's a lot of years in working in the arts that i i've i've learned some things that i can i can pass along and if they if it's useful to people help do do you see a pattern in your plays and in your life as an artist all, all these years i think i think everything that i've done and also really with the plays that I've done to some degree that I didn't write certainly with my shows they're all emotionally autobiographical whether they're factually autobiographical that's a separate issue some are some aren't some are a mixed of mixture of the two but there's not they're not anonymous things that I come up with they're all personal in some way um so there's that in in a way you put them all together you get it's like a portrait of a life and, and certainly the things that I've done on stage, which I, I haven't done a lot, by 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 choice to some degree, because I can't... It, it, it's been very difficult for me in the past to be acting in a play and then to be working on my own work in the daytimes. I can't kind of split focus generally. Now I have to do it because I have all these writing requirements. The, the, so I, ha I have to work on my own work in the daytime but it's been hard to do so I've been very uh, I've been as selective as I can about plays and it's and this one the, the, I mean the Seagull Woodstock New York is it, it's remarkably the, 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 there's, a, there's a lot of parallels to my own life in this character uh, hopefully I'm not imminently dying but, hopefully not no but there there are other there are other there are other things that are there are quite quite deep um parallels and also because i have a share in a house that's actually outside woodstock so it's it's a little bit uncanny that the first play i act in and it's the first straight play i've done in 14 or 15 years is actually takes place quite close to where I spend a lot of time um, but uh, well you know I, th I, go ahead, yeah, I, I just I just think the, the general thing with the shows that the if, if there's a pattern it's because they 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 they're, they're connected to me emotionally they're not just kind of assignments or projects that I think oh I'm gonna write about uh, Amelia Earhart or or just it's not it's not it's it's not coming from the brain it's coming from the heart well i i i think that's great to be honest with you for me at least what i the artists that i appreciate the most that resonate that uh, affect me the most are those that are coming from that sort of place you know it's genuine and it's it's who they are what they're experiencing what they're feeling what they're thinking and that's why it's so powerful uh, you know and that's why it's so human yeah that's I, I that's that's what it is for me with with other artists that have really affected me it's um there, there's 
they're coming from a place of self-expression that is and I, I often felt like my shows especially initially because I, I started off as a singer so I was much more in the music world and I, I always felt like my shows were more like singer-songwriter albums uh, akin I mean very much inspired by sort of late 60s to mid 70s or to late 70s to Johnny Mitchell albums they were very much like I would have 10 monologues or 12 monologues sequenced like they're an album I felt like a singer songwriter that just spoke monologues that didn't sing and but the the, the influence of, of someone like Johnny Mitchell or, or Laurie Anderson was really or Neil Young or was 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 very strong with me. Leonard Cohen, people like this. Um, mm -hmm. We have similar musical tastes. Yeah. Uh, do you have albums out? Um, I don't. I, I'm I've I've got so many songs where I'm I'm hoping we'll make an album of the the, the, the we're only alive for a short amount of time, which was the last solo that I performed in in New York City has 13 songs and I'm hoping that at some point we can record an album of those songs and um, but I've, I'm, I've, I've got a lot of other songs and I've got several new projects um, that have quite a lot of songs in that I've written um, the most imminent being a collaboration with Dale Orlando Smith who's a fantastic um, poet, playwright, performer and Matthew Dean Marsh who's the, my composing collaborator, he and I have worked on a number of projects together. Yeah, we mentioned um, one earlier that you won an Obie. Yeah, yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, was, and and we we got the when we were in Chicago, we got which was very happy making. We got a Jeff Award for kind of best new musical for for We're Only Alive for a short amount of time, which I was very happy about that it was being seen as a musical which I always viewed it as a musical because there were so many songs and there was so much underscoring. And, um, but uh, Well, what about your musical memoir? Uh, you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I had done, I had done sort of, I don't know, maybe nine shows at that point, solos, and I'd done, a, written a, a couple of, um, there were several two-person um, pieces, full-length pieces, like full evening-length piece, and I felt I was being encouraged by friends to write a very autobiographical show because my background was was unusual. <laughs> um, because my mother was murdered, and I had never written about it in a very direct way, and it was it was it happened when I was. 16 and my father killed my mother and then went to prison and it was a very highly publicized trial and case in England uh, where I grew up and I was the sole witness in the trial and I went through all these prison stuff anyway I thought I'd, I'd never I never wanted to be defined by it um, as which I, I was fearing would happen and I didn't want to be, uh, I didn't want people to feel sorry for me or I didn't want to manipulate it in any way. But I thought, well, my friends, friends of mine thought, 
you know, it's a very singular story and it could be useful for people because because I survived. Mm. You know, it it wasn't, it didn't end up in my tragedy where it could have. And and friends, when 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 one friend in particular said this could be useful, that sort of motivated me further. But I thought it's such a potentially bleak story that it has to have songs. Right, it's just too heavy. So I I I, I made this musical, which um, and and I never thought it would get produced. For I just thought, well, I'll write it and. I did a reading of it in Chicago at the Goodman Theater with and who and I've worked with the Goodman. I've done seven productions with them, I think, or maybe eight even. Um, and they've been very, very much the backbone of my artistic life since the mid '80s. Very, very supportive of me. Um, and I, I didn't think for a second they would produce it, but I wanted to see how it was with an audience and how I felt doing it. And then Robert Falls, who runs the Goodman Theatre, said they wanted to produce it and they wanted to put it on the main stage, which is a 900-seat house, and open the season with it. I, I was, that's the biggest surprise I've ever gotten in terms of, like, my career, for want of a better word, was the Goodman producing that show on the main stage. I never truly never thought it would get produced i was writing it for myself to um and it had this life and then it came to new york to the public theater and and hopefully there'll be um more future for it um and the name the name of it uh yeah it was it's called we're only alive for a short amount of time right that's a long title which yes but it makes sense it makes sense based on what it's about it does. It's tricky having a long title because because people make mistakes with it. So it's uh, and I I did a musical called Floyd and Clear Under the Western Sky, and I promised myself I would never do a, another show with a long title, purely because mistakes would be made with the title, and that would bother me. But then I was like, oh, I was at a residency with this fantastic playwright Claire Barron, mm-hmm. and she very and that title is. It's very influenced by Claire Barron. That's, it sounds like a Claire Barron kind of title. But I think just spending time with her at this artist retreat space on Ryder Farm, where I wrote, we're only alive for a short amount of time. Um, I think the, the effect of Claire, well, the inspiration of Claire's writing affected that title. A separate, she didn't write anything, she didn't help you write the... No, no, uh, I just, you know, I was just, you know, I was hearing her read mm-hmm. things that she was working on, and and just, I I was a big, big admirer of her plays anyway. So it's, um, it, uh, I, I'm sure that had, I'm sure her work had an effect on me. But, I mean, I wrote the whole thing by myself, it's, um, it's, uh, it's not something anybody else could have written. No, it's it's, it's very much from the, the perspective of the witness, and I was the the one witness. Is it a one act or? It's all. It's a ninety minute monologue with thirteen songs, all original songs. And it's original. And you stay. You staged it back. Was it 2020, 2019? It was like twenty. It was just before COVID right. really hit. Here. I remember. I remember. Yeah, it was like twenty nineteen. I think of the 
it was around 2019. It may have been 2018 at the Goodman, and then it came into into the city, and it um, it, it was co-produced by um, by um, Nine Stories Productions, which is uh, Reva Marker and Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, production company. Oh, that's which cool. was which was really an extraordinary thing. I mean. Um, for me, I mean, it would not have happened without that company because it was added to the season of the public theater. And and Reva, who is an incredible champion of that show, particularly she um, she made it happen. So I'm forever indebted to her. She's a fantastic producer, and we're continuing to work on something together that's related to this to that show. That. Are you in, in? Can you talk about that yet? I know you have several projects right now that you're working on that you can't talk about because they haven't been formally. Yeah, there's. Yeah, I've got. I've got some TV things that are based on works of mine that I. They. They. Until they're announced, I can't say anything about them. But there's. There's some exciting things, and there's a film that's um, percolating based on something I wrote. So, but it's. They're all kind of. I. I I'm, I'm not at liberty to say. That's cool. To, That's cool. Till the companies that have, the, the, you know, that the, are producing them, feel like it's ready to to make um, a sort of a public announcement about it. I love that but phrase. I love to use that phrase. I'm not at liberty to say. I'm moment. not at liberty. I've never said that phrase in my life. <laughs> That's but great. I don't know, you know, it's 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 a very you know I'm so used to just doing my own thing alone. Yeah. And I can talk about it or not talk about it. You know, right. It's, it's, right. No, nobody's telling me anything. But out of respect, um, I mean, they probably wouldn't. I, I don't know. I don't. No, know I get it. Know. I get it. You don't want to. You don't want to ruffle feathers. Why would you do? Yeah, that? it's a, it's also yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, what about Sandra? Yeah. Well, the last the last show that I've done in in New York City was uh, was last the end of last year uh, called Sandra, which is a one woman show uh, that was performed by Marjan Nishat, who's a fantastic. Iranian American actress, um, and that was it's a it's a one woman show about uh, a woman whose closest friend, who's a young gay composer, goes to Mexico and doesn't come back, disappears, and she goes looking for him and becomes involved with someone who isn't who she thinks he is. It's a, it's really a solo thriller. My my whole aim with it was to see if I could write a one-woman thriller that one woman on stage telling a story could could have the tension of a thriller. It worked. So, so that's... Um, oh, thank you. And, it's, you know, when you're looking at... I, I don't know why you chose that uh, sort of story, that, that uh, theme. Um, uh, I could... I could sort of speculate, I'm sure, but because there's so much going on. I mean, it's a personal story, it sounds like to me, and what I know of it. But also, I think it connects, perhaps, to larger social issues, too, um, regarding certain communities in our in our country and in the world. Uh, do you... I wanted to ask you this. I'm trying to find a way to segue. Um, and this is a curveball, because I didn't, I didn't let you know I was going to ask you. So you can just demure. But... What do you think about some of the stuff going on in the United States, in particular in Florida, with regard to, you know, like DeSantis's 
take on gender and sexual orientation and history and school systems. Does that, as an artist, as a, as a, a humanist, and uh, other words that are positive I can throw at you, does that concern you? Does that perplex you? Yeah, it's very, it's highly concerning to me. I mean, I'm sh- sharing a dressing room with a friend of mine who's trans. My, my costume in the Seagull, Woodstock, New York, is by a, a, an artist who's trans. I mean, I'm, it's, it, it's, it's, it's terrifying. It's really terrifying what's going on down there and elsewhere. But the, um, yeah, it's very, it's very, I mean, I've got a number of friends who are trans and it's, it's, and certainly right now I'm, I'm very intimately connected to one friend because we're, we're on stage together and she's in the, we're in the dressing room together. You know, it's, um, it's, 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 deeply terrifying I agree. And, and and everyone should be terrified what do we do it, you know especially as artists what could you do i don't know I'm, i i just i just don't know exactly but the um but the the the, the constant attacks on trans people and gay people these vulnerable communities, it's just, it's disgusting. It's absolute disgusting. It is. Horrifying. I don't understand. You say they're men. people. They're just people. It's people. It's like <laughs> what? It's like who gives anyone the right to tell anyone else how to live if they're not hurting anybody? Who the hell do these people think they are? It's like... It's like mind your own business, and you see all this displaced anger, people's anger, uh, uh, their own frustrations, like like it's it's being pointed at these vulnerable communities in some cases. It's like you know, sort your own shit out. It's I, it, it makes my blood boil. <laughs> I know, me too, me <laughs> too. I, you know, this just popped into my head today when I, I was reading some articles in the New York Times and about those policies we're, we're, we're referring to in, in Florida, and it angered me, and I, I just wanted to throw it into our conversation today for my own need, you know, so thank you. Thank you. I knew you'd be with me, so yeah, but thank you. Oh, I'm very much. I mean, right now, more, more, I mean, just more, more than ever, I feel so in support of, of, the, of the community of, 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 tra- of trans people and, and certainly gay people as a gay person myself. But the... Um, Anyway, it's a it's a very frightening thing that's happening in the country that is so un-American. I agree. I agree. Thank you. I won't make you. I won't let you go too far with that. That way, you know, you might get yourself upset. And we could talk about things that are uh, maybe a little bit more positive too, like like, like uh, the power of photos and squirrels in Central Park and 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 Ernest Hemingway's place in Sun Valley. I know you have connections to all those subjects i do i do i live for a month in ernest hemingway's house in ketchum on my own uh to write i've written a new uh, solo show called uh blue cowboy but it, it was all written in in ernest hemingway's house which was an extraordinary experience i, I was the first play i received uh the sun valley 
Playwrights Fellowship. I was the first playwright to be um, the recipient of this award, and and part of the part of the award was to to live for a month in, in Hemingway's home in Ketchum on the side of this on the side of a mountain in Ketchum, Idaho. That's cool. And uh, which was an incredible experience. Um, was this stuff wrote, still there? Pardon me? Was this stuff still there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not open to the public. It's really... I mean, what they've done is he had a three-car garage on the, the ground floor of the, the house, and they turned it into a, 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 a studio. It's like a studio apartment for writers, and some novelists have stayed there, but then they've expanded it to to this playwrights program with the Sun Valley Playwrights Residency. But then the upstairs, well, upstairs is where <laughs> Hemingway shot himself. Mm. But the all, I mean, the the rooms are all like he's still there. You know, the closets have all Mary Hemingway's clothes in. It's it's and the furnishings and all the things on the wall. It's really as as she left it. I mean, she lived. She lived uh, quite a bit longer than he did, but it's uh, it's very much kept as as preserved as as it was when he lived there, with some quite extraordinary things. Was it inspiring um, to be there? Extra, expired? yeah, it was. It yeah. was very inspiring, and I I was, and, and particularly because a kind of a an extraordinary thing happens there. That because Hemingway, both Ernest and Mary, were very big hunters of game and animals and birds, and there's you know there's there's various gazelle heads on the wall and and like stuffed ducks and, and there's a pheasant in there, the things that they've they've shot. But the curious thing about it is that you cannot hunt around that house. So as a consequence, there's a lot of animals, including a large herd of elk that come within four feet, five feet of the house. And there's, there's about 20 of them. And they would show up because you can't, they, they can, the irony is they're completely safe there. They can't be hunted. It's too, it's not residential, but it's considered residential. So and that there's really a lot of birds and and animals generally. So that was also quite something to experience. These uh, certainly the elk include like a, there was a massive bull the elk that used to come around, and there's moose along the road. You know there, there's a lot of lot of large animals, um, which I've. You know, I live in I live in Manhattan. The largest animal I see is like a standard poodle, but the um, or the squirrels yeah, in Central Park. Well, well the, yeah, but they're little. <laughs> <laughs> the um, but it's it, that that was also something I didn't expect. Plus, the landscape is gorgeous out there. I mean, the the and and I was there in the fall, and the fall colors mm-hmm. are it, it's, it's just spectacular. And it's also silent, and there's no TV or anything in the house. So I was really focused and alone. I mean, which, you know, it's, it's, it, it, was a, it was an extraordinary experience. And I wrote this, 
the first draft of this solo play and then I went back a year later and I, I with Les Waters this fantastic director that I'm collaborating with on the show who did Dana H most recently on Broadway mm-hmm. and, um, I'm an extraordinary director that I've been a fan of his since the early 80s um, so I'm really thrilled to be working with him on this but he came out when I went back to to Idaho uh, Les came with me and we did a public presentation of of Blue Cowboy, which really went well. I was really heartened by it. It's very much takes place in that area. Um, it's very accurate to the area. And it, it's, um, and we had a very sweet thing because there's a, Carol King lives nearby. Oh, wow. And I used a couple of her songs in the, in the reading. And because, you know, she's, she lives there. I, wanted to ask permission and I which was a it was highly unlikely that anything would get her let alone that we'd get permission but I wrote her a note and she said it was okay for me to do use the songs which made me love Carol King even more and I loved Carol King to begin with yeah me too it was uh it was a really lovely cherry on top of the pie Oh, it sounds wonderful. Sounds wonderful. So, so Blue Cowboy, that's something to look forward to. So I hope we'll, I mean, it's very, no, it, I haven't sent it to any theaters yet. I'm I'm still working on the script. I want to add some things to the script. And, um, but hopefully that we'll find a producer for that when I'll do it with Les. And he wants me to perform it. Because at first I thought, well, I'll see if I can cast it with, with an actor, and Les only wants to work on it if I act it. Oh, great! And, and which is which is very flattering and awesome yes, to hear it. Definitely. And what Carol King songs? You have me curious. Are you thinking of using? Um, I sing along with uh, "I Feel the Earth Move" mm-hmm. for about thirty seconds, and then I there's uh, "No Easy Way Down," an earlier song of hers. It's on her album "Writer." Right. It's a great, a great song. It was covered by Dusty Springfield and Barbara Streisand. Um, but the um, and Carol obviously recorded it first. But uh, so, but it's it's. I mean, that's where she's lived in Idaho for I think many years. So I didn't realize so. that. Well, David, you know, we can talk for a long time. I could at least. You're busier than me, I suppose. Uh, I'm going to ask you if you have any closing thoughts, any anything you'd like to say to the listeners about upcoming shows or just a general sentiment you'd like to share? I think, you know, I think this, this well, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think so, but I, I do, I think this production, The Seagull, Woodstock, New York, the, the new group are presenting on 42nd Street, is really extraordinary. And I think the cast is, it's it's an it's an amazing cast of actors, so I, I I really encourage people to see it. It's 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 really it's really lovely to be in something that I have no hesitation to recommend it to anybody. I think it's really it's really fun. Parker Posey's in it. She's hilarious. Oh, I'm a big and fan. Nat, oh, she's so funny in it. And Nat Wolf, who's fantastic, is, has this new TV show with Christoph Waltz. The consultant that just mm-hmm. started on on um, Friday, he's he's incredible in it. 
it's incredible in this play. So it's it's and and Hari Neff, my friend Hari, is is I mean it's an extraordinary cast. So I I really think I I, I feel completely uh, positive about encouraging people to 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 come to come see it. It's a very interesting take on Chekhov's The Seagull. Very contemporary. It's very off this moment. So so that that I'm doing that till April 9th. We extended two weeks, and I know with people's schedules and that it can't go any further than than April 9th. But I, I think it's really worth seeing. Well, congratulations, and and uh, continue to break legs. And uh, again, thank you for taking time out to talk with us here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. It's our second time talking, and uh, I've loved conversing with you both times. Thank you so much, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Yeah, you too. You too. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Pieces from the February 2023 issue of The Sun magazine. The first is titled Ode to My Brother's Face Tattoos by Reese Menifee. The second is from the Reader's Write section on drug experiences, written by Paulina Popovskaya of Sandy, Utah. Here is Ode to My Brother's Face Tattoos by Reese Menifee. At 20, you've managed to erase our dad's face from your own. 
blacked out his sharp cheekbones with roses, marked each eyelid with an upside-down cross to distract from his glossy brown irises. Death spreads over your freckles next to a faded knife. I envy the stick and poke sprawled across your forehead, the sparrow, and see no evil. How you've buried him in black ink. My own freckles are a reminder of every time he left. My eyes are the color of a leather belt. I envy how you called me in the middle of the night after ten years of us not speaking and said, You're still my sister. The next day you overdosed, and I cried in the shower, angry about the way my hair curled when wet, in the same way as yours, in the same way as his. And now, a piece on drug experiences by Paulina Popolskaya. I had been waiting to try mushrooms for a while and decided to do it while camping alone in the desert in Utah. I sat on a yoga mat, added a few bits of mushroom to my coffee, drank it, and waited. Nothing. I tried again this time putting the whole bag into my cup. Watching the ants run around my toes, I felt I could almost make out their thoughts. My vision became hyper-focused on my feet, and I began to feel separate from the body I inhabited. I thought of my father's feet, which he had asked me to squeeze during his final days in the hospital before his death. The colorful rock mesas surrounding me seemed to gently dance. I could feel a strong emotion welling up within me, like a volcano about to erupt. What followed was one of the most cathartic episodes of my life, a beautiful, spontaneous afternoon I will never forget. I headed to a nearby creek, lay down in the cool water, and cried out loud for my father and my sister both of whom had passed away in the previous decade. It felt like I dislodged something that had been stuck inside me. I walked along the shallow creek, removing my sandals and feeling the red sand between my toes. I could sense the pulsing energy of the water and thought of my boyfriend and how much I wanted to marry him someday. I thought about my grandmother, wishing she could see this place, and I imagined having a wedding in the desert. I eventually came back down, ending the experience with a dip in the cold river. My first mushroom trip was exactly what I wanted it to be. Everybody's talking at me I don't hear words they're saying Only the echoes of my mind People stopping, staring 
I can't see their faces Only the shadows of their eyes I'm going where the sun keeps shining Through the pouring rain Going where the weather suits my clothes Banking off of the northeast winds Sailing on summer breeze And skipping over the ocean like a stone Like a stone Everybody's talking at me Can't hear a word they're saying Only the echoes of my mind I won't let you leave my love behind No, I won't let you leave The Red Book and Ballet on the Avenue of the Arts in our city of brotherly love. A Ricky smoothie with some French fries and a red beet dominant veggie burger on a gluten-free crispy bun. I look across the table and all these people I am paying for their lunch. I love them. I am not sure how they feel about me. I stare at the mural across the street. It's colorful, though I don't sense much soul. I like your jokes. I know you're cute. I see the girls all look at you I wish I loved you more You give so much to no applause You make a mean spaghetti sauce I wish I loved you more Sometimes I think it's all me Sometimes I think it's just you 
Sometimes I think we are not meant to be And that is the long and the short You tell the truth, you never lie And that's so rare in any guy I wish I loved you more When people say you're good for me I nod and smile agreeably I wish I loved you more I wish I loved you more And there you have it Episode 514 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, David Kale, The Sun Magazine, writers Reese Menefee and Paulina Popovskaya as well as these musical artists, Thelonious Monk, Friendship, David Kale and Matthew Dean Marsh, Carol King, Harry Nielsen, and of course, Branford Marsalis and Terrence Blanchard too. And I'd also like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself.